Guys, I'm in Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 11, and then I'll kind of explain the backstory when we get done. I'm going to read through about verse 20, and the Word of God says this. It says, while he was holding on to Peter uh, and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them uh, in what's called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. And and though he had decided to release him, he says, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, uh, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all of the prophets, that the Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. And here's our verse this morning. Here's our focus. It's verse 15. It's up on the screens. You killed the author of life. And here's our but God moment. But God raised him from the dead. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. So there's three things I want to share with you this morning. You're not going to like the first one, but hang with me. Here we go. Ready? All right. Point number one. Here we go. We are all part of that you. Right, that you that Peter's talking about, when he, when he says, you killed the author of life, we are all part of the you that killed Jesus. We have to start here, right? That we are all part of, of the you that killed Jesus. So here's the backstory. This is Peter's second sermon since the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in him. Right? There was an event called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a celebration. Jews from all over the world were there. And, and Jesus had told the disciples, after I die, I want you to go wait. You're going to wait, and, and the gift is coming, the counselor is coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. So the Holy Spirit descends, and chapter 2, they begin to speak in tongues. All the people gathered from all over the world, some said they were drunk, but then they began to hear them proclaiming the good news of God in their own native tongues from where they were from, right? And so Peter stands up and preaches the first sermon that, of, of, of the Christian church right there. And, and he, says, he says this, right? Listen, you killed Jesus. That was his first sermon. You handed him over. You killed him. You did it. And their hearts were pierced, the Bible says. And they said, what do we need to do? And he says, repent, every one of you, right? And so it says 3,000 people became Christians that day, that day of Pentecost. Now, this is Peter's second sermon. And he's got a similar text. This time, he and John are walking uh, to the temple to pray in the afternoon. And there's a man laying on a mat who's been lame since birth. He's laying outside of the temple gate called Beautiful. It's one of my favorite 
stories. And as they walk by, the man asks for money. He says, do you, do you have any money? And, and they look at him and they say, listen, silver or gold we don't have, but what, what, what I have I give to you freely in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And this man who has been lame since birth, the scripture says, doesn't ease his way up. He jumps to his feet and he begins dancing and praising God. A man who has never walked now not only knows how to walk, but how to dance. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And, and it's, it's amazing, right? It's amazing. So amazing that the crowds who all know this man are like, oh my gosh, look what you've done. Oh, Peter. Oh, John, you guys are amazing. They're like, no, we're not amazing. We didn't do it. This happened because he believed in Jesus. Oh, by the way, that's the guy that you killed, right? And so here's the thing about this story. This is what I long for. This is what I wish. I wish I could contextualize it. I wish I could take this story and lock it up and keep it right there and I could point fingers and say, yeah, those people, way to get them, Peter. Way to get them. That's right. They did kill Jesus, those horrible people. Those horrible Jewish leaders, those, those Pharisees and those Sadducees, those no-gooders. I, man, how dare they do I wish I could, I could point fingers at the crowds and say, you're right, Peter. Amen, Peter. It was those crowds. They, they shouted, no, release Barabbas. Like, no, no, crucify him. Crucify Yeah, it was those crowds, Peter. It's all their fault. Man, I wish I could stand before you this morning on Easter Sunday and point fingers and say it was all their fault. But the Bible doesn't give me that kind of freedom. Because the story of the Bible, of this Jesus, of the suffering servant who died on the cross that, that Peter is talking about, this story is so much bigger than just a group of Jewish leaders or Jewish crowds. Because the story of the Bible is that this Jesus came to us from God. That he was born of a virgin and that he lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross for our sins, all of our sins. Right? This same John that's walking with Peter to the temple uh, puts it this way in his epistle, 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 2. He writes, he himself, that's Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the atoning, but, but listen, not only for ours, he's, John's like, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, that phrase, atoning sacrifice, is really important. It can mean payment. Literally, the word is propitiation propitiation. You said, what on earth is that? I'm with you. That's, that's what I thought the first time I heard that. So what on, what on earth are you talking about? Well, here's what that means. It's really important. Propitiation literally means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the very end. It, it, it takes God's wrath to the very end, and look, then it changes that wrath in doing so, and taking it to the end, it changes it toward us into favor. Into favor. So here's the, the, the big story is that we are part of the you. I mean, that, that, that's the truth. Here, here's what the Bible proclaims, right? In Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of that sin is, is death. That that's what we deserve, right? That's us. That's our story. Like, we're all part of the we. We are. Which, which means, right, that we are the reason, ultimately, we, you and me and them and they and the, those that will be, we are the reason that Jesus had to die. But hear me, this is all part of God's plan. That this Jesus would come and he would take our sin upon him. And you say, what, what, what is that propitiation? He takes the wrath of God to the end. What does that mean? Well, I mean God, God's angry because we've rebelled. God's angry because he made everything. He made it good. And we said, no, we know better. And we don't. Anybody else 
willing to admit they're an idiot? I, I am. I, and I, I make bad decisions all the time. We rebelled against this good, all-knowing God and said, no, we know better, and we didn't. And in that rebellion, God's anger began to brew. He knew it was leading towards his son. He would have to give up his best, his very best. His one and only son would have to live the perfect life that we were unable to. He would have to die in our place. And God's wrath was against that. But Jesus bore that wrath to the end on the cross. When he says it's finished, the wrath is finished. It's been changed into favor. It's been changed into favor. It's a big deal. So listen, this Easter Sunday, I, I, I know that's not the first thing you wanted to hear out of the pastor's mouth. Welcome to church. Welcome back, some of you. Uh, you killed Jesus. God bless you. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, but it's the truth. But it's the truth of all of us. It's the truth of all of us. But, but God. That's, that's my favorite phrase in this series, y'all. People thought I was nuts when I titled the whole series, But God. But here we go. But God, right? Here's our second point. But God raised Jesus from the dead, but God raised Jesus from the dead, conquering once and for all the penalty of sin. But God raised Jesus from the dead, conquering once and, all, uh, once and for all the penalty of sin. And so, uh, let's, let's look at our verse again. I'll put it on the screen. It says, uh, Peter says, you killed the author of life. Here's our but God moment. But God raised him from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. And guys, this is what Easter is all about. Right? Amen. This is what Easter is all about. The, the religious rulers that Peter was pointing fingers at, they asked Jesus for one more sign. Now listen, we know you've done all kinds of signs and wonders, but we want one more sign. Give us one more sign, Jesus, that you really are the Messiah, that you're the one that the Scriptures talk about, that you are the Son of God. Give us one sign. He says, I'm not giving you any more signs except the sign of Jonah. That just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so that I'll be in the belly of the earth. And on the third day... I will rise again. And on Friday afternoon, Jesus breathed his last breath. He said, it is finished. The sky turned black. The soldiers pierced his side with a spear. Blood and water flowed out. He was completely dead. They took him off of the cross. They never broke a bone. Joseph of Arimathea went to the rulers and said, please let me have his body so I can bury him. Put him in his own tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. They very quickly, because Sabbath begins in the evening, they very quickly rushed to put him in the tomb, and, 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 and the tomb is sealed. Now, now, the government is afraid of this Jesus, that if somebody steals his body, that everybody will believe that it's real. So they seal the tomb, and they put guards at the tomb, and their life depends on guarding it, right? This, this is all what happens. Now, uh, Jesus is in the tomb on Friday. He is in the tomb on Saturday, and on the third day, on Sunday, Matthew's account says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary head to the tomb. As they come, they're carrying spices. They think the men might have messed it up, that they were a little rushed. Amen, ladies? You could have done a better job, right? You, you would have planned better. I know, I got gotcha. you. So, so they go to the tomb with the spices, and I, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know how, the, like, they're going to convince the Roman guards to break the seals so they can finish up. Like, I, I have no idea what they have in mind, but they do think that they'll find a dead Jesus. And they show up, and, and Matthew's account says that there's an earthquake. That the earth literally shakes because an angel descends from heaven and rolls away the tomb. And the soldiers are, fall like dead people. They're so freaked out. And, and yet there are the women with spices in their hand. And, and, and they say to the women, why are you here? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And then here's my favorite part. It's verse 6. 
They say, he is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. For he is risen, just as he said. And, and listen to me, I want you to understand what this means. I want you to understand what this empty tomb this conquering Christ, this living Savior means, all right? The, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 8. Uh, he, he, he says in, in Romans 8, 9, and 10, uh, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over Him. The implication is that if it no longer rules over Him, it does not any longer have to rule over us, okay? It says, for the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. And in doing so, Paul would continue in Colossians, in doing so, He actually conquered the penalty of death, right? He, 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 he conquered its penalty. This is what it says in Colossians 2.14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against who? Against us. Jesus on the cross. Jesus through his resurrection. He, he took away all of the sting of death. It was eternal. It would last forever. It was what we deserved. But he took what we deserved upon himself. Now if he stayed in the tomb. We too would eventually die. Right? We, 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 it doesn't make us right with God. Right? So, so he takes it upon himself. He erased the debt, the obligations that was against us, opposed us. He takes it away by nailing it to the cross. And he doesn't stay dead, praise God. But he rises again, eternally alive, so that anyone who believes in him may also experience eternal life. So here's where we began. We are all part of the you that killed Jesus. But... God raised this Jesus from the dead, conquering once and for all the penalty of sin. And the last thing I want to tell you is why. That's the third point. Is that God did all of this because He loves you and He wants you to live with Him forever. God did all of this because He loves you and He longs for you to live with Him forever. Right? I thought about this a lot this week. Why, why did we do it? I, I don't mean like we personally, like we were there, but why did humanity, why, why did we rebel against God? Why, why, did, why, why would humanity turn over the Son of God? Why? Why would they do that? Well, the answer is kind of, kind of twisted. It, it's hard to find, uh, but there's a couple of reasons. One, we're sinful. We've covered that. But two... God was working out a good plan. The Bible says that God weaves together all things, including our mistakes, for His glory. Right? And, and, and so I want you to see Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2. He, he explains this, uh, Acts 2, 23 and 24. He says, Though He, Jesus, was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. So he's like, this was God's plan. But by the way, the very next sentence, or part of that, same sentence. You used lawless people to nail them. So we have responsibilities. Like, you did it, right? But this is part of God's plan. That's the tension of, of Scripture. And so when you think about why, what well, is God's plan? But why? Why, God? Why was this your plan? That's the, that's the next question. It's God, well, why? Why would we do this? Because it's part of God's plan. Well, why would this be part of God's plan? Ready? Because it, it had to happen in order for death to be defeated. In order for God's wrath to be changed to favor, Romans 6.23, I showed you half of it earlier, I didn't tell you that. Here's the other half of the story, Paul Harvey, it's the rest of the story. For the wages of sin is death, here's the other half, but 
The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God loves you so much, He wants you to live with Him forever. He, he, he wants, just as in the life of His Son, He wants the grasp of death to be broken off of you. That's what God wants for you, right? And again, why? Why would God want that? Why, why, would, God, why, why would God give me a gift? Me! who's part of the we that killed Jesus, right? I'm part of the you. Why, why would God want, want to give me a gift? And, and this is the, the, the mind-blowing thing that makes Christianity different from any other religion on the face of the planet. Ready? Just because he loves you. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, every single person who was part of the you that believes in Him, will not perish but have eternal life because God loves you. And so yes, friends, we are responsible. Like if, if, by the way, the first point was just going to be you killed Jesus, but I thought that was a little rough on Easter Sunday out the gate. So yes, we are responsible. We're, we're part of the you that killed Jesus. We all are. But God raised Him from the dead and forever conquered right? The penalty of sin, right? He, he's done that, and he's done that because he loves us. And you say, how, how, how much does God love me, ready? Here's how much he loves you. Not only does he want to give you life, he wants to give you life with him as his child in his house. And, and, and this is what it says in Ephesians 2, uh, 19. So then you're no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. What that means is that God actually wants to make you his kid. God actually wants to make you his kid. That's what he wants to do. So here's the deal. Uh, it's Easter. We do this every Sunday. I, I, can't, I can't preach without having some kind of application or response. And I believe of all messages that the Easter message demands a response from us. And, and what is that rightful response? I think it's three things. Number one, okay? Number one, we have to admit our role in the death of Christ, right? If somebody's going to become a believer in Jesus, the very first thing they have to do is own up to their own sin. Uh, the Bible says that we've all sinned. Now you say, well, what is sin, pastor? You know what it is. You don't need a pastor to define sin. Stop trying to get out of it. You know, it's bad stuff, right? Like a three-year-old knows that. We all do bad stuff. Now we, we dress up pretty. We put on perfume and, and cologne. We smell good. We, we, can, we can look the rope. We're not great people, right? I love it when people sit at home and watch the news and go, oh my gosh, what's happening to our world? We are! That's where happening to the world, all of us, who are swept up into politics and everything else you can imagine. Like, it's us! It's always us, right? We're not great. We have good moments. We're not great. The Bible says we've all sinned. And so the first part in, in this believing that, that Jesus died is believing that we needed him to die. Do you believe that? Because here, here's what the Bible says. At, at the end of the age, when, when Jesus returns to, to establish a new kingdom here on earth, uh, when all that happens, there's going to be this great separation, this great judgment and, and, and it talks about sheep on one side and goats on the other. And, and that all comes down really to, to belief. Who, who believed in Jesus? Who lived like they believed in Jesus? Like, how did that work out? Did you reject it? Did you say, no, I've got this. I've, I've got it all on my own. Well, then you're, you're, you're going to have to pay 
the penalty for your sin. That's death. It's eternity. That's what it is. Or you can believe in Jesus and you'll experience the life of God and you'll be with him forever in his house as his kid. I think that's the best way to go, amen? The first step in that is admitting our role. It's a demolishment of pride, of all our self-arrogance, of thinking that we're great because we're not. And it's okay to not be okay. Can I say that to you? It's okay. Parents who are trying to keep it all together and act like you have everything right, your kids are going to be so messed up because they think you're perfect. And when you finally fail, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, my world is crumbling. Like, don't, like, no. I'm a train wreck, y'all. Saved by the grace of God. That's it. So we have to admit our role. Second, okay? Second, we have to believe in Jesus and his resurrection. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Peter's third sermon, he will say, there's no other name in heaven and earth by which we may be saved. Why? Because there was only one sinless person that died in sinner's place. His name is Jesus. And there's only one person that's ever conquered death forever, and his name is Jesus. There are resurrection stories in the Bible, by the way, of people that have come back to life briefly. Lazarus is one of them. He stunk. You guys remember that? I think he had an odor with him for the rest of his life. He died again, by the way. He died again. Right? Okay? Jesus, resurrected from the dead, lives forever. Okay? So we have to believe in that. So we, we admit our part. We believe in Jesus. And lastly, here's the last thing we have to do, is we have to become a child of God. Um, there is an act on your part. Like, like we say this all the time. Like salvation is all God's work. It is, right? I, I mean, Ephesians is clear. This isn't, this isn't something we've done. We couldn't be good enough. There's no way we could earn that. This is something that God has done for us. It's a gift we just covered, right? It's a gift. But at some point, I have to receive that gift of what God has done for me. And it looks something like what we just said. God, I'm a wreck. God, I'm a mess. Like, I need you. I need saving. I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me and come into my life? If you pray a prayer, anything close to that, today you could become a child of God. That, friends, that, friends, as, as uh, Charles Schultz would say, and that, Charlie Brown, is the meaning of Easter. Okay? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to bow our heads. Just where you are, if you bow your head with me, Kind of close your eyes with me. I'm going to pray. Uh, for some of us, I'll be praying that this becomes a regular thing again in our life, this going to church thing. Uh, but somebody here this morning, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, nobody's looking around, but somebody here this morning, you're just, and maybe it's not salvation, uh, but maybe it is. Maybe you've never believed in Jesus and that's you, you need saving. Uh, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and be like, I, I need Jesus in my life. Is anybody this morning? And I need Jesus. We got a lot of Christians here. That's okay. Now, even if you're a believer, how many of you feel like you've been in a situation that you need saving from? Man, I'm struggling. I need help right now. Lord, save me. Come on, raise your hand. I'm the only one looking. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Yeah, that's a lot. Anybody else? Okay. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved by this conquering Savior. So let's cry out to him this morning, and then we'll close uh, with, with one singular announcement. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place. God, I pray that every person in this room knows you. Every person hearing my voice online knows you. If they don't, I pray that they would uh, very simply admit their role, put their faith and trust in you, and ask you to take control of their life. God, for those that have, 
that are struggling today. They're crying out. They're going, God, save me from this. I pray in, in power you would intercede in what's going on in their life. And that they, uh, like, like the man outside the gate, beautiful, that they would be evidence of Jesus to a watching world in the way that you save them, in the way that you transform them, in the way that you use this hardship and moment in their life for your glory. Please do it, King Jesus. We ask that in your holy, powerful, and precious name. Amen. Amen.